If you would turn in your copy of God's Word to First um, Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter two, First Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, we're going to be reading the entire uh, verses, chapters uh, two, verses one through eight, just for context, and really going to kind of zero in on verses seven uh, and eight. I'll read God's word, pray, and then we'll dive into the word of the Lord uh, together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in the first verse. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from air or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you now and we thank you. We thank you for your character, for your righteous holy, and blameless character. God, we thank you for your love, which will endure forever. God, we are so in awe of you. God, you get all the glory. You have done great things. You have taught us great things. So God, we pray that you would take all the glory. And God, when we enter into your presence, we are aware how short we fall. We are aware of our sins this past week, sins of omission and sins of commission, God. Um, We are so tempted to follow the spirit of the age, to listen to uh, voices that are not of you. God, we come now asking for forgiveness through the name and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you sent him to satisfy your righteous wrath on the cross that you looked on him and you pardoned us. You are such a great God. God, we pray that you would forgive us through Christ, through his shed blood. God, we lift our mothers before you now. God, I first want to lift those mothers who have lost children. God, I pray that you would just comfort them today, that you would remind them again and again and again that you would never leave them nor forsake them. God, I pray in the depth of emotions and the range of emotions that come on a day like today, God, I pray that you would meet them there. God, I pray as, as fellow believers who rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, God, that we would be gracious and kind um, to those mothers, Lord, who are experiencing grief this day. So God, I pray that you would do what we can't, that you would comfort them through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we also pray for the moms who are here, Lord. God, we thank you so much uh, for mothers. Lord, we thank you for their uh, faithful example. God, we, we thank you for their love. They have poured themselves out again and again for their children. 
God, I pray that today that they would be encouraged, that they would know that they are loved by their children. God, that they would know that they are honored in this place among these people for the work of being a mom, for all that that entails. God, we pray that you would get glory from their lives, Lord, that people would see their good deeds, they would see their hearts of service and sacrifice, and they would not be praised in themselves, but God, that their praise would go to you, that people would see their good deeds and give you glory because of them. But God, let them feel honored and encouraged this day. God, we also pray for all um, the, the pastors who are preaching this Mother's Day. God, we pray specifically for Joey Deese this morning as he's preaching at Oakdale. God, we pray that you would just bless his sermon. Father, that the preaching of his word is faithful to your scriptures. God, that it is powerful in the power of your spirit. God, we pray that you would call people to repentance and faith uh, through his preaching. And God, now I pray for the people whom I love. God, what a privilege it is to stand um, and, and to be a pastor of your people, uh, to be a shepherd of the people that you have saved and rescued by your shed blood, God, to the redeemed. God, I pray that I would honor them today by honoring you through the preaching of the word. God, I pray that they would be formed and shaped into the likeness of Christ, Lord. God, we pray that they'd be aware of their sin and be driven to repentance. God, we pray that they'd be encouraged of their faithfulness and be, be encouraged to continue to do so more and more. And God, I pray that I now shall decrease and that you may increase. Lord, I pray that I would not seek glory for myself, but that all glory and honor and praise would go to you and to your holy name. And God, we pray that you would bless us now as we open your word and we, we look for you to speak to us. So God, we pray that we would accept this word, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, as the word of God. So God, we thank you for giving us the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to him we offer this to you this morning. Amen. Uh, over the summer, uh, between my sophomore and junior year, I came home from work and met my mother in the driveway. My mom looked at me and said, David, I might have made a mistake today. Now, my mother is one of the kindest, most tender-hearted, gracious women I know. But she also has a very hard time setting appropriate boundaries. <laughs> uh, I responded, oh no, what did you do now? She said, well, David, I was reading a book called The Coach's Life um, by Dean Smith, and you know, the famous North Carolina basketball coach. And well, I find out that he, he has a daughter that goes to school with you. And I thought I would take matters into my own hands and find you a girlfriend. So she wrote a letter to Kelly Smith, Dean Smith's daughter, and copied it before she sent it to get the approval after the fact. And she showed me the cover of the letter, and there's a picture of a golden retriever. Now, mind you, I am a college athlete playing football, uh, and a reputation's a very important thing. So the, the copy of this, this golden retriever, cute, head slightly tilted, I said, Mom, that is the worst thing that you could have possibly ever done. She said, Dave, if you don't like the cover, you're not going to like the letter. <laughs> I open it up and I begin to read, and I quote, I know what you're thinking. Who's Mrs. Keene and why is she writing me? Well, I'm writing you because I have someone I want you to meet. Some say he's like a golden retriever. <laughs> the real deal 
the true blue. Too good to be true, you're wondering. In our life, we have opportunities and choices. This is your opportunity. This is your choice. It's your destiny. True story. I'm not making this up. A couple months pass, and I'm at college. Somebody taps me on the shoulder and goes, excuse me, aren't you the golden retriever? Yes. Yes, I am. How did you recognize me? Your mom sent us a photo. Of course she did. Um, Bless my mother's heart. Well, uh, not only did she write uh, Kelly Smith, she also wrote Dean Smith himself. Dean Smith, the kind of gracious man that he is, wrote my mother back and said, Mrs. Keene, in all my years of coaching, my 30-plus years of coaching, I have never received a letter like this. It is by far the weirdest thing that has happened to me. My mother has done many things to embarrass me over the years, uh, but all of them reveal this deep, deep love that she has for me in her heart. She really believed that I was the catch of the century. Uh, she was always my number one supporter and encourager. She truly believed that I was like a golden retriever, the real deal, true blue, too good to be true. Uh, She believed the best about her son and wanted the world for her boy, not only for me, but for all of her children. Isn't that what mothers want? Mothers want whatever they can can get from this world for their children. Uh, Mothers have special hearts for their children. Um, Just this past week, Kevin Durant, who recently won the MVP, for the NBA, said this in his acceptance speech, speaking of his mom, we, we weren't supposed to be here. Uh, you made us believe. You kept us off the street. You put clothes on our backs. You put food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. And you went to sleep hungry. You sac- sacrificed for us. You're the real MVP. Uh, I I believe Kevin Durant echoes the words of all of us here today. I think that if you asked a a child, speaking of their mother, they would say, you truly are the MVP. We are standing here today. We are the men and women that God wants us to be because of the labor and love of our mothers. So I pray today we would look and examine God's word and look at a mother's heart as we see the kind of lives and hearts that we want for ourselves. I, I pray that you would... Um, see how Paul commends his life to the people. Paul saying, look at my life and how I was like a mother. So look with me again in, in, in God's word in verses 7 and 8 where we're camped this morning. It says these words, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So we're going to look at four aspects of a mother's heart that we should want for ourselves. First, we should aspire to have a gentle heart, a gentle heart. If you want to follow along on the bulletin provided for you, just flip in the back and you'll see the outline. Now, Paul and his companions only spent a few weeks in Thessalonica before they had escaped escape in the middle of the night under duress. Um, Paul and Silas had been jailed at Philippi. Uh, that's where he says we were shamefully treated at Philippi. They, they were jailed and 
they came to Thessalonica and they, they created an uproar and they had a had a get out at the, at the at the in the middle of night. So coming to this Thessalonians people, they had to ask themselves, should we continue to do what God called us to do? We were just in prison and jailed for preaching the gospel. But we see right here in, in chapter two, it says we had boldness in God to declare the gospel of God to the Thessalonians. Now, this whole section, Paul is trying to defend himself, his kind of life, his ministry. Uh, before the church. He said, I came with integrity. I came with grace to this church. I could have made demands as an apostle of Christ, but I was gentle among you. Now, Paul was thinking about how his life, his ministry, reflected by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gentleness like a nursing mother has for their own children. Now, there's a tenderness and a sweetness that is seen when a mother uh, nurses a child. Uh, those of you who, who have the have a, has had the experience to watch your your wife or um, or grandchild nurse a, a, a child, it is really a beautiful thing. It's a picture of God's tenderness and uh, compassion. Um, I think many reasons why this illustration is used. One, because we all understand it. We've all have been there ourselves. Uh, but one of the reasons why I think Paul uses this example because it shows the closeness and the focus attention that occurs during nursing. Now, moms, you're all busy, right? Mothers are very busy. They have a tremendous things on their plate, uh, and nursing is one of those things that you have to stop <laughs> to do. Uh, all their energy and attention is fixed uh, on their child. Uh, there's a closeness and an intimate, intentional love that Paul is trying to get the readers to see. He says, I came to you with a, a tender-hearted compassion, with an intimate closeness, as if a mother with, his own, with her own children. Now think about this. Paul did not know the people for very long. He only knew them for, for maybe three weeks, maybe four. And he says, listen, I came to you with the same kind of tenderness, the same kind of love, as if you were my own children. Paul was tender-hearted. Now, growing up in our aggressive and achievement-oriented culture, gentleness is not often put forward as a virtue. Uh, men do not want to be called gentle. We often take it as an insult. Women are encouraged in the corporate America to act more aggressively and with less gentleness if they want to move ahead in the professional ranks, climb the corporate ladder. So as a young man, I viewed gentleness as an awful thing. I was a man growing up in this culture, but I was also an athlete. So if you called somebody gentle, those were fighting words. You don't call a man gentleness, gentle. But gentleness is not weakness, but rather it's a gift from God. Godly men and godly women, we should possess a gentle heart. Galatians 5, 22 through 24, the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So one of the, 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 the epitome uh, characteristics of the life of faith, the life lived in the Spirit of God Himself, is to have a heart that is gentle. 1 Timothy 6, 11-12 but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight 
the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So gentleness is, as one point, a, a fruit of the Spirit, and it's also something we should pursue. It says, men of God, pursue gentleness. And you notice how that works? He says that we, we should pursue gentleness, and then it says, fight the good fight of faith. Men, if you want to fight the fight of faith, you should pursue gentleness. They do not go against one another. They are actually linked intimately in the Scriptures. So if you are led by the Spirit of God, we should bear the fruit of gentleness. Now, there's many reasons why we don't have gentle hearts. Uh, I think one of the reasons is we're just too busy. We are too busy as a culture. Busyness without a, a focus can destroy a gentle heart. And you're saying, well, pastor, isn't gentleness a fruit of the Spirit? How can busyness hurt that which is of the Spirit? Well, let me try to explain. How can, you know, we have, if we have too much going on and we're, we have too much stress, it's hard to be patient and gentle, to speak with gentleness. If we're always in a hurry, what happens? Our tones and our words becomes harsh and short. See, a nursing mother slows down and focuses her attention on a child. This is what happened in the ministry of Paul. He slowed down and he focused on the individual he was speaking to. He was loving them intimately, closely. See, beloved, we, are, we have physical bodies. God created us with limits. You know, we, we, have to, we have to understand this. One of the things that kind of came out and it's kind of dominated a lot of Christian thinking is that the body is bad, the soul is good. But that's not the, the teaching of the Scriptures. The teaching of the Scriptures actually says that the, the soul and the body are one. We are connected intimately. So let me give you an example. If you don't get a good night's sleep, when the next day, are you, do you tend to be more patient or less patient? <laughs> you tend to be less patient, okay? If you, if you don't have exercise self-control over what you eat, do you, or do you have energy? Sometimes because you eat too much, because we eat, because I eat too much, Lord forgive me, right? Because I eat too much, I'm sluggish, and I can't serve my wife like I ought to. Because I, I, I live in this body. And we, we, we have to understand our limitations before the Lord. So, do you have a gentle heart? You know, is, your, is your speech characterized by gentleness? If not, it may be, not because you're a wicked sinner, although that could be, <laughs> it may just be that you're too busy, that you have too much going on. Maybe you don't get enough sleep. Maybe you don't eat well. Our bodies and our soul are intimately connected. How you treat your body does affect you. But wh- one of the other reasons I think we're too busy is because we lost focus on the main purpose for life, which is the gospel itself, which point number two, we should have a gospel heart, a gospel heart. Paul was consumed by the gospel. Uh, He lived with this laser-like focus on the gospel. Uh, He was very busy. He worked night and day, but he he worked night and day so that he could focus his life on the gospel. Look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. See, he says Paul was ready to share the gospel. 
He lived as a missionary. He lived to spread the gospel of God to everyone. Even see how many times in these eight verses we read, how many times Paul mentions this gospel. Verse 2, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with with the gospel, so we speak. Verse 8, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. And in verse 9, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul lived to make the gospel of God known. And I think if you, if you look and you hear the, the second half of that, how Paul talks about the gospel. I mean, why would he live like a laser-like focus? Why would he willingly go to jail for the gospel? Why would he willingly and boldly be willing to, to, be, to be beaten, to be stoned? For the gospel. Beloved, you are not persecuted. You are not persecuted like Paul was persecuted. He was not afraid of losing his job. He was afraid he could have lost his life. And yet he had boldness of God to share. Why? Because it's the gospel of God. See, the words that we share are not man's words. These are not words that some guy came up with. These are the words of God, the gospel of God. And even if you look back in chapter 1, Paul shares what the meat of this gospel message is. Look with me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, the gospel requires people to turn from idols. Human beings are created to worship and serve God, but in our flesh we serve idols. Idolatry is the extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone other than the one true and living God. Idols can be images of wood or stone, but I think in our world they're much more the idols of the heart. Money relationships, success, comfort. Anything that takes God's rightful position as first in our lives is an idol. And the Bible says idolatry is rebellion against God and causes God's creation, his, his people that he created in his own image to be under condemnation, to be counted as God's enemies. This is why it says in verse 10, speaking of the wrath to come. The wrath that all humans face is the wrath to come from God Almighty. See, a holy God has to punish sin. The punishment for our idolatry is death and separation from God in a literal hell, a place that is described with an unquenchable fire, with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today, you are in great danger because you are facing that wrath that is to come. Now, that is not a message that people like to hear, but listen, you have to understand your danger. I spoke with a man this week. He saw me carrying a Bible, so he, he engaged me in a conversation, not a polite one. Uh, and he said, why do you believe that stuff? I mean, when we die... We're just, everything's going to go black and we're going to step to the life and that's it. Is he right? 
Is there light after this world? Because if he's wrong, he's going to meet God himself. He's going to face the wrath of God. The Bible speaks of the wrath to come. But it also speaks of the one who came to deliver us from the wrath to come. It came, it speaks of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, who lived a perfect life and absorbed God's wrath on the cross for anyone who would put their faith and trust in him. And God says, I approve of his sacrifice and his resurrection from the dead, giving hope for everyone who puts their faith in the life, death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that they would be delivered, delivered, rescued from the wrath that is to come. So I want you to notice four things of the process that happens when you become a Christian. First, you recognize you are guilty of idolatry and in danger of the wrath to come. Second, you realize that only, only Jesus can deliver you from the wrath to come by taking the wrath of God on himself on the cross. Third, after hearing that message, you turn from your idols to God. And lastly, you continue to live for God. You see, when we we come to faith in Christ, we make a decision that we're going to follow Jesus. We make a decision that we're going to be a disciple. So it says that we serve the living God, active, present tense. We wait for the Son from heaven, Jesus who delivers from the wrath to come. Right? It's an active life of faith. We choose to start our journey. Then we can choose to continue on our journey with Christ. This, this message that I'm sharing, this is not new. This is not a message of man. This is the message of God. It's the gospel of God. And because it is the gospel of God, Paul lived his life with a gospel-focused heart. So mothers, can I plead with you? Can I plead with you to be consumed with the gospel? Every parent wants to provide a good life for their child, don't we? But sadly, most Christian parents do not understand how to provide this good life. See, if we want our kids to experience comfort and joy, but we do not focus on the gospel, hear me, you will lead your kids to idols. You will lead kids to the idols of our culture, the idols of success, comfort, happiness, sports, or anything else that encapsulates this American dream. If you do not teach your kids the gospel of repentance and faith, you will lead them away from God, away from true success and being faithful to God, away from true comfort and eternal peace, away from true wealth and being rich towards God, and away from true happiness only found in forgiveness through the death resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not Focus on comfort without the cross because you will find none of it. We all have to ask ourselves how we live out this Christian life. One of the blessings of living life in a local body of believers is that we press upon one another and we ask ourselves the questions, are there idols in my own life? You know, me and my wife have those conversations. Where are our idols? 
how, in, in the way we're living our life, are we pointing our kids to the gospel or are we pointing our kids to an idol of this age? That's a very real conversation. And if we're not having it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to lead your kids right towards idols. Beloved, we must turn from them. There are some dangers that are very overt, but there's other dangers that are subtle. And if we're not careful, we will lead our kids away from Jesus. So let me just ask you very simply, uh, what are you pushing your children, pushing on your children, that may lead them away from cherishing Jesus as their supreme treasure? What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing in your own life that made you lead, lead you away from cherishing Jesus as your supreme treasure? See, if you want your kids to love Jesus, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, if you want your kids to love Jesus, you know how you do that? You love Jesus. You pursue Jesus. You allow no idols to come in your life. You don't lead them anywhere. You lead them to Christ. The way of the cross leads home. If you're not making your life centered around the gospel, you're leading your kids to idolatry. You're leading your kids to rebellion against God. So we start today and we hear this gospel week in and week out. We say, turn my heart to God. We, we, We think that we sing that song, you know, come thou fount of every blessing. It says, prone to wander. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Here's my heart. Take and seal it for thy courts above. God, we, we, we have things in our lives that are, are, that are going to le- try to lead us away from Christ. This is why I make you stand up and tell Bobby and Jenny you're going to pray for them. This is why I make you stand up and say, Tori is going to see the gospel in my life. Why? Because your life does not only affect you. It doesn't. It affects all of us. Well, let me make two final brief comments. I know I'm already 12 o'clock, and you're like, Pastor, it's time to eat. All right, so let me just, let me just drive this home. See, because what I'm talking about, um, I'm asking moms... I'm asking all of us to give ourselves. The third point, having a giving heart. The greatest things a mother can give to her children is her very self. Paul says it right here. We are ready not only to share the gospel of God, but our very own selves with you. So your character, your passion, your joy, your steadfastness, your love. And, and, and moms, can I share this with you? I know there's many of you who wake up and you're laboring, trying to be a mom, and there's days that you say, What? is the point. You feel like a failure. You feel like life is closing in on you and you want to give up. In moments like that, I want you to remember Galatians 6, 9, which says this, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Moms, you are going to reap a harvest. You are going to reap a harvest. I had the blessing to talk to many of our senior moms, right, who've lived a life of faith. And when I talk to them, I never have heard one time a single regret, an ounce of regret of sacrifice in their life for their children. They look and they, they speak about it with pride. They had the privilege and they had the joy to give themselves for their kids. So if you are struggling with feelings of giving up, can I tell you to seek these women out? Seek them out. Seek them out. They're such 
wonderful women. And, and, and ladies, those of you who have children who are out of the house, can I just say thank you for that love? Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for having that steadfast hope. And thank you for never giving up on your children because even today you are praying for them. Even today you are hoping that they're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as I say this, this fourth point, we do this with a glad heart. We do this with a glad heart. The motivation that we give of ourselves is one of love. So in verse 8, Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you. And again, you became dear to us. The life of God is not full of drudgery. (laughs) It's joy. It is joy to give of yourself in service of the great king. We have this great privilege to to labor alongside the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk in his footsteps. Because it says this, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. A glad-hearted love of a mother to her children is a small picture of the glad-hearted love that God has shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have a mom, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your mom's love and sacrifice, and I want you to praise her for it. I want you to thank her for it. Then what I want you to do is I want you to see how that love and sacrifice she has given you is a picture of the, the love and sacrifice God has given you in his own son in his death, in him giving of himself that you may find life. First John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. Mothers joyfully give their lives to their children that they may live and find success in this world. Jesus joyfully gave his life to his children that we may live. So I pray that you would be ready to give your life for others that they may find true life. Let's pray. Father, I pray for these people. God, I pray that you would drive this upon their hearts. God, I pray that nothing else, that you would make them live for the gospel. God, help them turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the the Son from heaven, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We ask this. In his name, amen.